Trish Wood is the host of Trish Wood is Critical, and she is an outstanding journalist. So I am delighted to have her as a guest here today. She's done everything from talk radio to um, the producer, the host of many acclaimed programs. A clear path forward requires looking back and learning. Good public policy requires human connection. It's a consideration of the facts, applying common sense and innovation. It's urban, it's rural, it's real life. We all have something to contribute. We all have a responsibility to get informed because there's a little piece of Canada in all of us, isn't there? Let's learn on this path together. This is Leaders on the Frontier. So welcome, Trish Wood. Hi, David. How are you? I'm doing great, and it's uh, really an honor to have you. I've admired you in terms of your your leadership in journalism over the years, so it's great to have you. Did you leave out the CBC bona fides just because people might come <laughs> off? Well, we're going to get to that, but uh, yes, um, I'm you've reformed. covered not only the okay, <laughs> but you've you've worked not only with the CBC, but uh, who have you all worked with, Trish? Uh, can you give us the overview so our audience realizes the the depth and breadth of your career. Sure. I, I mean, I know that CBC is failing now in a really obvious way, and we should all be desperately worried about it. It's uh, heartbreaking for me as someone who had a long career there through many of their top places. I was in CBC radio during the heyday. I was a culture guest on Zosky. Imagine mm-hmm. that. Uh, a great man who I cigarettes with in the studio that's how long ago it was um right. a- of course i was at as it happens where i was a science and medical reporter i was sent around the world i covered the uh the exxon valdez oil spill in prince william sound i was at the hanford nuclear plant which is mentioned in the oppenheimer movie as the place uh-huh. where they were developing plutonium for the bomb and then had a terrible, terrible environmental disaster there for the people in the community. So that was, I covered Love Canal. I did a lot of wonderful stuff at CBC. As I always say, the caveat is back when working there actually, actually meant something. I've been at CTV and then I kind of circled back from there and ended up hosting the fifth estate for 10 years, which was uh, both the best and worst job I've ever had. And I was at the journal from the minute that they kind of hit the on switch on that. I was there before it actually went to air with Barbara Frum. Wow. Yeah, and Mary Lou Finley as hosts. I mean, imagine that. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And I learned a lot about interviewing from Barbara Frum, actually. She was a very mm-hmm. interesting person to to observe over the years. So so that's it. Then I took some time off to single parent uh, and learn about that. Um because I, I always felt when I was hard charging and traveling the world in and out of war zones and various other places that I wasn't being a very good parent. And I stand by that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took some time off and then w- got into true crime and justice reporting, which I loved and was doing that until COVID happened. I just done a huge five part series for Amazon studios, $5 million budget, huge show, you know, really kind of, okay, now your career's really launched. And then COVID hit and, um, and I had a decision to make. And the decision was based on, ironically, reporting I'd done at As It Happens, where I'd covered the AIDS crisis and Tony Fauci's handling of that. Uh, and so, so his, yeah. his name was on your radar then, to be clear. Oh, 
even totally. back then. Yeah, I look. I left that the the AIDS reporting with very very limited respect for Tony Fauci. I was a dissident even then because he botched that terribly as he botched COVID. And mm-hmm. when I started seeing the kind of legacy media reporting around COVID, I thought we are in a lot of trouble. They don't even have the infection fatality rate correct. Like it's 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 exaggerated uh-huh. by hundreds of times what it should be. Uh-huh. They're basing public policy on it. And Tony Fauci is, I'll say it, you know, he's a narcissist and someone who shouldn't be anywhere near public health policy. So uh-huh. I... I started a podcast. I didn't know what else to do. I had no platform anymore. Uh-huh. I wasn't on and, social and when, media. And when was that, uh, Trish? When did you start uh, Trish Wood is Critical? Uh, okay, so the world locked down in March of 2020, and I was up and running in May with the wow. pure mandate to do mostly COVID policy criticism. Uh-huh. Right? I didn't even know what a podcast was. Okay. Uh, I had no social media, like, I, literally none. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what I've been doing. I've turned down films in the interim because I just Mm -hmm. feel now once you're wide awake and you see what's happened for what it is, our circumstances are so dire that Mm -hmm. um, I would feel like I was literally betraying my country if I if I wasn't doing what I'm doing, because so few people are doing it. Right. Well, so you 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 to use the kind of ironic phrase, you woke up early and your eyes were open. And you actually felt a, an obligation uh, to do something about it, to namely take an initiative like this podcast to do what? Well, I, for me personally, let me tell you this about investigative journalists, if you don't know. Most of us are a little, ha- have some kind of, of defect, right? Why else would we have this drive, <laughs> constant drive to get to the truth? You know, many mm-hmm. of us are recovering alcoholics, which I am 22 years. I'm proud of it. Wow. Talk about it. Um, so I, I, I could feel this veil of lies starting to be woven by legacy media. And I, I guess my, my first kind of opening my eyes to what was happening informationally was really 2016. I, I lived through the persecution of Donald Trump. I was a Bernie Sanders sub- supporter. Back. I was a oh, socialist, wow. totally. And I turned on a dime because, uh, well, first of all, I, I learned things about Bernie Sanders that were really disheartening. But mm-hmm. I saw a lot of people in that milieu, namely working people. The, the, those are the people I care about the most and who journalists mm-hmm. should care about the most are working people who have no voice, right? So they were encouraged to go from Bernie to Hillary, who is a nightmare, terrible, the worst secretary of state ever. Maybe Madeleine Albright was worse, but not by much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw Bernie's perfidy and dishonesty about what he was doing. I hated Hillary Clinton. And I thought, wow, Donald Trump, he's a weirdo. As a woman, eh, you know, I wish he wasn't that way. He's kind of crude. Mm-hmm. Um, probably fun to have a beer with, you know, but... but mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, there was things about him. I'm sure every you probably felt that way too. But, but what I liked about him was he was anti-war and clearly anti-war, which mm-hmm. I knew because I'd written a book about the Iraq War, so I'd been following his stance on it. And he was absolutely true blue. Um, he seemed to care about working people, and he wasn't afraid to take on the neocons and Washington. So I thought, well, I can live with a crude guy who's doing. A, 
quite moral things in his policy, right? So, so mm-hmm. that happened. I watched the meltdown after Hillary lost, which was hilarious. That really did it for me. I crossed the the aisle to whatever I am now, libertarian something or other. Um, I'm not sure there's a name for it. There's lots of us like this, but. And then I watched the legacy media and the Democratic Party persecute Trump from day one with the Russia hoax, the fake impeachments, the mm-hmm. talk about how, oh, he's insane, he's going to nuke the world. And and they're just, they're, they weren't, the media wasn't even trying mm-hmm. to hide the fact that they wanted him out, that they were running an op on him and on the American people and on the world, in fact. Mm-hmm. So... So I'd been schooled through that, and then and then uh, COVID happened. There was the Fauci factor. Fauci was totally all in with the Democrats too on 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 COVID, which was a hugely political issue. And mm-hmm. I thought I, I can't I cannot watch the failure of COVID policy destroy people and ruin people. And I, I realized in that moment that my idea of legacy media was not what it was when I was working in it. It was over. Wow. It was finished. It was finished, right? And and I think what really did it was the Hunter Biden laptop hiding of that too mm-hmm. in 20 yeah. That was just like the end for me. So right. so that's what I I couldn't go back and the only way forward for me was to I made that joke about investigative reporters not, you know, being completely normal and for me I don't deal well with lies. I I get agitated and anxious around dishonesty. Mm-hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I couldn't go back because all of the institutions in our world right now are lying to us about one thing or another. I mean, name one where they're telling the truth to us. I can't. Right. And so that's that's a really long story about how I ended up doing the podcast. But that's that's what happened. But but it's a it's a very powerful summary of where you're coming from, because you have this incredible history as a an investigative journalist, you were you were uh, at the top and in many respects within certainly Canadian journalism. You see the international scene, how this is all interrelated. Yeah. So it's been quite a revelation the last few years. I mean, that that's it's quite a quite an astounding story. Well, it is, and you know what the worst part for me is that there are people still at the Fifth Estate. One guy in particular who was at my wedding a few years ago, who I mm-hmm. love who seems to be part of this captured milieu, right? So I could not, if, if CBC went insane and they all dropped acid and said, let's hire Trish back to host the fifth estate again, which would never happen. Um, I, I couldn't go because I would be surrounded by total cognitive dissonance, right? People with whom I share not really a single worldview, except maybe, you know, killing is bad and we should be nice to mm-hmm. We all should probably share that. But everything else, yeah. you know, trans ideology, mm-hmm. lockdowns, vaccine mandates, all of it. I, I'm completely on the other side. And so mm-hmm. that was not just that I'm now living in a different world politically and ideologically, but I mm-hmm. no longer belong to the tribe that defined me as a journalist for 30 years of my wow. life. Right. That's just gone. And so that's also been dip- very, very difficult. And I'm still kind of walking around mad about it. I have to do mm-hmm. things. You know, I watch YouTube videos about how to like not be mad about things because as we know, um, you know, carrying around that kind of feeling is toxic, but mm-hmm. to me even, but, but I can't believe 
what's happened in the last, especially the last three years with the media completely absolving themselves of any responsibility for wow. truth telling during COVID for, you know, they just didn't think they had to tell the truth about anything at all. So if we like, we're going to cover a lot of ground here, but if you look at it from, I'm asking you as, as uh, one of these uh, great established journalists, what makes for a good journalist? Well, for well, there's a couple kinds. I, I was a daily beat reporter, um, mm -hmm. which I excelled at because I'm an investigative journalist at heart. And mm -hmm. I always stayed later than everybody. I, I got a big scoop with uh, Stephen Trescott. Before, he was hide, been hiding for years. And, oh, yes. Right. Right. And I, I am at heart an investigative reporter. I, I just have mm -hmm. to always know what is really going on. And I don't mm -hmm. assume that institutions are always correct. And, and right. media shouldn't. So hence the title of your podcast is Trish Wood is Critical. Yeah. Well, it, yes. Critical thinking, right? Um, my kids might say their mom's a bit critical. You know, there's a whole mm -hmm. bunch of, it's just a good word. But also it's critical to listen to the show. So we had a whole bunch of stuff. Going. <laughs> we chose that name. Yeah. Yeah. And we do, mm -hmm. we do dive into really complex subjects and it's actually a perfect timing to do that right now because much of what's wrong is wrong because people are trapped in kind of postmodern woo-woo right they're, they're like yes of course men can be women and of course we should mutilate yeah. children then they feel better i mean just crazy stuff mm -hmm. and if you if you do a kind of a deep dive on just the facts and any of those assertions of course they're ludicrous but we're not allowed to do that right you, you mm -hmm. even investigating those things is now and i know in the uk if you questioned someone's pronouns or said them wrong misgendered i think is the phrase that they used to send the cops mm -hmm. to your house i mean it's bad that's like ridiculous right so sorry can you repeat that i i'm not sure if people would realize that that's actually been happening in the uk yeah so one case in particular i, I think it might have been kelly j keen the woman who was beaten up in New Zealand or almost beaten up, but it was that terrible scene. I interviewed her after that. She's really a great woman, but she misgendered somebody, I believe in a tweet and the person sent the cops and the cops came to her house. And I think, I don't think this is hyperbole. I do believe she went to the police station. You, you can't, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't, I can't remember that, but, but it's, it's an absurd situation where it's funny. You refer to it as this postmodern, Woo-hoo, you called it? Woo-woo, woo-woo. Um, woo-woo, <laughs> pardon me. Yeah. Where, you know, there's this, um, we could talk about that for quite a while, but there's this um, putting aside of basic truths or such as biology, male and female, yeah. for this assertion ideologically that you can assert your own biology, your own gender, which is just absurd. So we, we've kind of become unhinged from, what would you say, reality? Yes. And I, I also think we've become unhinged from our humanity because at the root of these things, and it is what is really the fire under the podcast, and that is massive levels of cruelty that is justified by ideology. That's where yeah. I just can't move away from. So if you look at what, what connects all these things, right, the COVID lockdown policies were absolutely inhumane and cruel i mean what mm -hmm. we're, we're telling our beautiful seniors they they must die alone 
they, yeah, they, they horrible. I mean, what, what, in what society do is that okay? And why did everybody go along with it? And why didn't the people in those nursing homes, and the nurses in those hospitals who did the iPad goodbyes, why didn't they just refuse to do it? Mm-hmm. There was no scientific basis for for what they were doing. So, and if you look at it at the the ideology around um, around transgenderism too, it's also extremely cruel. The children mm-hmm. who are being harmed by this, many of whom would grow up just to be gay, right? So, mm-hmm. talk about this idea that that you are kind of reconfiguring them. If you ask them about it, you actually are reconfiguring them because mm-hmm. you're turning gay children, male gay children, frequently into women when they that's not they're not turning them into women but you're turning them into cripples who believe they're women mm-hmm. but 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 when they actually are just gay men you see so th- there's an element of cruelty around this there's cruelty around the young women who just want to swim against other women and they're being told oh you've got to live with this guy wandering around your your uh, change room with his junk hanging out right i mean all of these things, that's in the olden days, like five years ago, that was considered sexual assault, right? If you're waving your genitalia at someone who's not interested in looking at them, that is in the criminal code, sexual assault. But we can do it on Gay Pride Day in front of children. We can do it in women's lockers rooms. And if they complain about it, they're bad people who are transphobic. I mean, the point I'm trying to make, sorry, I get upset about this, is is the idea of the cruelty that underpins all of this mm-hmm. stuff, right? It's right. mean. It's mean. Yeah. You know, I just, I really grieve at, you know, the story that you tell about the legacy media. Um, certainly in Canada, like I, I grew up um, on the CBC among, you know, all kinds of, of great uh, media uh, in Canada. But it's just no longer there anymore. And um, it, it's it's really absurd because we need a strong media for a healthy democracy, don't we? We need a strong media for any democracy. And I, I, I don't think we have a democracy right now. You cannot have a democracy when the politicians figured out, which they have, that no one's going to hold them accountable. They Look at what happened over the... I know we're kind of bouncing around, but I, I'm dealing with some stuff around the truckers right now, so it's probably a good time to make this point. Look at how legacy media carried water for Trudeau over the truckers. He sets a narrative. They're racist, they're homophobic, they're misogynistic, oh, ironic for a, an organization led primarily by Tamara Leach, who happens to be a woman and Métis. Um, and, and the media picked up on that as if everything he said was true. And so once you do that to a populist kind of uprising that way, you, you defang it, right? It has no, I mean, it actually did have a lot of power, but it gives the media a reason to not take it seriously. And that's what they did. I mean, look at what the CBC did to, to the truckers. They had one host who accused the truckers of being a Russian information officer. Yeah, utterly bizarre. Really? Yeah. I mean, is that, I mean, people like that should be mm-hmm. laughed out of the studio. Yeah. Why are they still even have a job, that person? It's ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. Or the, the, you know, the infamous arson story that never was, that on its face mm-hmm. was the most preposterous allegation against truckers of many preposterous allegations. Mm-hmm. And the media totally stowed their critical thinking faculties 
and broadcast it all over. And of course, the politicians picked it up because the media had given this great reason to smear the truckers when the story itself was ridiculous, which is what, that a woman comes home to her apartment building. There's a couple of people there setting, I think they were barbecue bricks on fire. Mm -hmm. She says, Mm -hmm. who are you guys? And they say, oh, we're going to identify ourselves as truckers. We're truckers. Exactly. And then she's so terrified of the arson. She goes up to her apartment and doesn't even call the fire department or the police. She goes to bed. So Mm -hmm. none of that is is a credible story well and, and don't forget about the the uh the placement of the nazi flag the confederate flag um and all are you know wheeled out in a matter of minutes mm-hmm. and suddenly these images appear across legacy media i mean this is it, it looked to me like a smear campaign absolutely and i think alexa lavoie at rebel news did a wonderful takedown mm-hmm. of, of that and just proved that very clearly that Nazi flag was some kind of a psyop on behalf of, I think on behalf of of Trudeau, actually, I'll just Mm -hmm. say it. I mean, somebody got something out of that, but what was interesting about the Nazi flag carrier, he didn't go anywhere near the truckers and you know why he didn't? Because Tamara would have kicked his butt out of there. She doesn't even like the F Trudeau bumper stickers on the guy's truck. She Mm -hmm. gives them trouble about that stuff. She's a very temperate woman in many ways. So, of mm-hmm. course, he didn't go over there because he wasn't welcome. So who shows up with a Nazi flag at a trucker event but doesn't engage with the truckers? What is the point of that? And, oh, mm-hmm. there happens to be a camera way over at the Chateau Laurier where that guy was standing. Come on. I mean. Yeah, all, all primed and ready to take the picture. So, yeah. so why do you think the legacy media went along with so many of these bizarre narratives and didn't do their job? to investigate the facts and do due diligence on what, like why why were they so intent on carrying water for authority? When I always thought journalism was about speaking truth to power. Yeah, well, it was, and it's supposed to be. Um, well, I, I, I think in the case of COVID, there are gonna be maybe a decade go by before we get the true answer. I, I do know this, I know that when I'm looking at the quality of work and hearing what journalists, young journalists are saying, they are social justice warriors first and journalists last. There's no, especially a place like the Toronto Star, it's just a tragedy what's mm-hmm. what's happening there. So wow. this took over J schools like in the last decade. So that's one thing. And the the COVIDian response, the approving the mandates, the lying for public health, the pushing fear to get mm-hmm. compliance, all that stuff was left-wing stuff. I mean, here on uh, Steve Pakin's show, they had a woman on from Ottawa. I'm not going to say her name, but she's a doctor who's really COVIDian. And mm-hmm. she was challenged by a public health officer here who is a much more measured person. And the first mm-hmm. thing out of her mouth on a Canadian uh, current affairs show was that he was a Trumper. In, I mean, he's Canadian. He can't, how can he be a Trumper? But the, as, a, as a way to, to quote, uh, discredit him. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's wow. how COVID saw, lined up, right? It did line up along political lines. So there was mm-hmm. that, that the newsrooms are, were all ex, extremely left wing and COVIDian in the way they laid themselves out. I, I mm-hmm. think the other mm-hmm. issue, um, is that there was something called the Trusted News Initiative, which they all kind of signed on to. And I believe it represented a de facto 
commitment to support the messaging of public health. So what that opens up is the argument about a noble lie, right? And Jay Bhattacharya is very good on this. Mm -hmm. Is it public health's role to tell a noble lie to get compliance, even if they reasonably think the lie will save lives, right? And the answer is no. The media role here, yeah. the media role is critical mm -hmm. to coin your phrase, which would is critical. Yes. So how, what can I as a Canadian citizen, what can we do to move and, and um, how do you say, renew the media in Canada? Here is the deal. As long as the two solitudes remain siloed in their media consumption, we will be feeding our own our own confirmation biases. Ah, uh, yes. Right? So the people on the other side actually really believe the stuff because that's what CBC is telling them is true. Mm -hmm. And the people on our side believe the stuff because I'm saying it or True North is saying it or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever is saying it. And we have to get to a point where those twains are going to meet again, where there is a, I believe deeply in this, where there is a platform in which all of these things are credible for people on both sides. You see, the, our, the division of us informationally, I think, was extremely deliberate. But we should be able to disagree on other stuff without it impugning credibility. Like, I'm not just going to have people on my show who agree with me on everything. Mm -hmm. I, I refuse mm -hmm. to do that. But I, al okay. I also curate based on how smart they are and, and mm -hmm. why the view that they hold that I might disagree with may have actual merit, right? Yeah. So to answer your question, we're not going to fix the media by having two silos. Mm -hmm. We've got to find a way to agree on reality right? On what's good and what's bad morally and what is actually real. But on the other hand, I'd say the other complicating factor is that you have some that have adopted an ideology, which is frankly anti-democratic. Yeah. They're not about working in a tolerant way. Absolutely. Um, they're about kind of ripping down our society. So what do you do with them? I hear stories of people being deprogrammed I mean, they actually use that word. I've seen in my own family people near and dear to me who were super woke, who are now releasing that. And I, I think these extremes, if we're lucky, will burn themselves out and that the cost for it is not a million more broken hearts or, or stolen lives, right? Or mutilated children. Well, Trish Wood, the host of Trish Wood is Critical. I'm so glad that you could join us and we could have this conversation today. Me too. Thank you for watching Leaders on the Frontier. We're a nonpartisan think tank. We explore ideas, policy, and practical solutions that can make a difference in the lives of Canadians. We do not accept any government funding. We work for you. Thank you for supporting Frontier. Visit fcpp.org to give. While you're there, be sure to check out our latest articles and research. Without open discussion and debate, you're not thinking, nor are you free. Comment below. We'd love for you to join the conversation.